ESPN Radio. Canty and Cornette on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We want to invite you to join the conversation on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Shay, it's been a very serious conversation throughout this show after we got word this afternoon that the Dallas Cowboys paid a confidential settlement of $2.4 million after four members of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleading squad accused senior team executive Rich Dalrymple of voyeurism in their locker room as they undressed during a 2015 event at AT AT&T Stadium. Rich Dalrymple, of course, is the senior vice president of public relations and communications. He stepped down and retired from his post two weeks ago on February 2nd, and today we got the article on .com courtesy of Don Van Natta, ESPN senior writer, and we had to ask him, how much did Jerry Jones know, and when did he know it, and when did he get involved in the investigation? Here's Don Van Natta. Well, I believe Jerry Jones uh, knew about this from the very beginning. Uh, You know, the first time this allegation was leveled was uh, the very same day it happened by these four cheerleaders on September 2nd, 2015. Uh, A cheerleader saw Rich Dalrymple in their dressing room, he gained access by using a security key card on a locked back door to that dressing room. The cheerleader said she heard a door open and shut, and several minutes later, she caught Dalrymple pointing his iPhone at her and her three colleagues while they were changing. Uh, that was reported to HR that day, and I believe Jerry Jones probably knew about it since then. Uh, the settlement didn't occur, though, until almost a year later. And, and the winding road that it took to get from that first allegation to when the settlement occurred, there was another allegation involving Dalrymple that I think played a large role in that, as I explained in the story. Um, yeah, so to expound on that, in terms of what the other portion of this was and why it added a, such gravity to the situation, I mean, this was a guy that was able to stay on staff five years after the initial investigation. Why so? Another great question that I wish I could have asked uh, either Jerry Jones or Jason Cohen, the Cowboys general counsel. Neither of those men agreed to talk with me for this story. But that's the big question. Uh, Rich Dalrymple, uh, according to the team, uh, was not guilty of any wrongdoing. They claim they thoroughly investigated both the allegation involving the cheerleaders as well as an allegation that he used his phone and and took some – uncomfortable photographs of Jerry uh, Jones's daughter, Charlotte, who is an executive vice president with the team. Both of those allegations, um, according to the team, were investigated and no wrongdoing was found. However, they put a letter, a disciplinary letter in Rich Dalrymple's personnel file in October of 2015, and the team settled with the four cheerleaders for $2.4 million. So the question is, why was Rich Dalrymple not fired, which is what the cheerleaders had wanted to see. And the answer given to me by the team is simply that they found no wrongdoing, meaning when they looked at his phone, his Cowboys-issued cell phone, they could find no images on there, no photographs and no video. And for that reason, uh, Rich Dalrymple was allowed to stay until he retired earlier this month. Yeah, it's completely outside the realm of possibility that the PR director, communications director, would have another phone, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Talking with ESPN senior writer Don Venata on ESPN Radio. And, Don, 
Have we ascertained why Rich Dalrymple was in that space to begin with? Because he was in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders' dedicated locker room. Why would he be in that space? What business would Rich Dalrymple, the PR director, the director of communications, have in that space in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders' locker room? Well, that's that's a critical question uh, because the day this happened was a kickoff luncheon at AT&T Stadium attended by 2,000 people. Uh, Emmett Smith was there. Michael Irvin was there. And four cheerleaders were there um, during the ceremony. When that ceremony ended, they went back to their dressing room to change into street clothes to attend the luncheon. And they found Rich Dalrymple in there after they got in there. And as I said earlier, Dalrymple used a security key card to gain access to a locked back door where there was no security guard in guarding it. There was a security guard in the front door, in front of the front door, but not the back door. Now, Dalrymple's explanation when he was asked is that he liked to use that bathroom and that he had routinely used that bathroom. But the cheerleaders, when they spoke to HR, pointed out that there was a men's room 20 feet away across the hallway. And so what business did he have being in there? And, and I think that is what uh, got him a personnel letter. My understanding of it from my reporting and speaking to a, a source with the team Uh, A disciplinary letter was put in his personnel file, and I think uh, basically because the explanation that he gave for being in there uh, was not enough uh, for some people with the Cowboys. So unfortunately, we have kind of seen – Uh, Not this exact situation, but situations that are in the same vein, right, across the NFL. And so in terms of punishment or what happens from here, Don, I'm I'm asking you to kind of look into a crystal ball. But what do you think happens not only uh, amongst the Dallas Cowboys, but maybe the NFL as a whole? Well, that's another great question. Uh, You know, there is uh, some folks on Capitol Hill in Congress that are looking very, very closely at the Washington commanders and at Dan Snyder. Um, my understanding is they are aware of our story that came out today and they are reviewing it uh, to possibly uh, go forward and, and speak to these cheerleaders. Now, they're under a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, as you guys were talking before I came on, uh, we know their identity of these four young women. Um, we did not publish it because they made allegations of sexual misconduct uh, and they are under an NDA that they signed with the Cowboys. However, there's a clause in that NDA that if they get subpoenaed to have to testify uh, in any kind of proceeding, including one before Congress, uh, then they would be able to do that. So that is something that uh, we'll be watching carefully to see if uh, that's the next step in this story. Don, when it comes to allegations, accusations of this nature, there are always going to be calls for transparency. Do the Dallas Cowboys have any intent on releasing any of the findings from the investigation, any of the surveillance footage from the cameras outside of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders locker room? Do they plan on doing that moving forward? They refused to do it with me for this story. I asked for it repeatedly uh, in the run-up to publishing our story today. Uh, they have uh, a lot of data. They have this, the security key card that Dalrymple used. There's a timestamp on the precise moment that he entered that locker room. And then they have video cameras, surveillance cameras, as you point out, in the hallway that are also time-stamped. So Dalrymple claims he got into that dressing room. As soon as he found that there were women in there, he left immediately. Uh, The cheerleader that made the accusation that found him said it was several minutes after they heard a door open and shut uh, when they actually saw Dalrymple. So the difference between a few seconds, which 
Dalrymple says he was in there, and several minutes that the cheerleader said he was in there can be determined with that data that the Cowboys had had come up with in their investigation, and they refused to turn it over to us. So to your point, it's a very good one about transparency. There was not complete transparency with us uh, in the findings um, that they had in this very thorough investigation that they say that they conducted. They didn't turn over that data to us. We'll continue to follow this story. Don, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Thank you for your incredible reporting on this bombshell article on ESPN.com. We appreciate it, friend. Thank you so much, you both. I appreciate you guys. And, Shay, this is such a serious topic, and we're going to have to be dealing with this and the fallout for it in the weeks to come. But I think the question that everyone has to ask is, what's next for the NFL when it comes to dealing with issues of this nature? Because they've proven themselves in the past incapable of being able to handle it. Case in point is what our next story is going to be in regards to Deshaun Watson and how that case is being handled as well. Like, we we can't – it seems like the NFL can't help themselves. Again, I said this earlier and I stand by it. There needs to be some sort of authority in place because clearly there's a push and pull between the owners and Roger Goodell in terms of how we're going to make a state – take a stand to stop things like this. And it's it's not just against women. It's against – Everything like the discrimination needs to stop. Sexual harassment needs to stop. Making people fear, feel inferior needs to stop. Like the way we handle business needs to be conducted at a much higher level for such a high institution of franchises and a company that prides themselves on being at the forefront of all these kinds of issues. We need to find a way to make these kinds of things stop and be taken seriously. And until Roger Goodell figures out who that's going to be, who's going to stand up and take a stand on it where it doesn't keep happening over and over again and there's not this push and pull, we're going to keep having these problems. And quite frankly, it's embarrassing. Maybe you need to hire more women to be around to help out these kind of cases. I wonder who the HR person was that the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders had to go talk to in order to tell these cases. Like maybe there needs to be more women in position of power where they can come forward and help things like this get moved along throughout the process and not have people of power in place who have made people feel some kind of way. It, it's just unfortunate to me. And, and at some point, someone's got to come forward and make it stop. And you know what? I, I agree with you that we do need to have more women in the higher ups when it comes to these organizations, as well as the league office. But they also hired Lisa Friel back in 2016 in the wake of all of the accusations, the allegations around domestic violence and, of course, what happened with Ezekiel Elliott at Ohio State before he even came into the league. And yet it still hasn't seemed to have the impact that the NFL was hoping. So maybe the NFL has proven that it's just incapable of doing that. And if they can't do it, then who should be the person to do it? We want to open it up to the callers on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. But coming up next, Deshaun Watson and who he has his eye on could potentially change the balance of power in the NFC. We'll tell you why. This is Shea Cornette, Chris Canty on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Cornette and Canty on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Shay, this story with the Dallas Cowboys isn't going away, and we have no shortage of callers that want to chime in. So let's go out to the hotline now and bring in Aaron from Dallas. Aaron, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? I was just thinking that if you want to hit Dallas or hit the NFL in the pocketbook, have the government take away their nonprofit status. It doesn't matter how many people show up to to watch the, the games, it's still going to hurt them in the pocketbook that way. Now, Shay, if I'm not mistaken, I think the NFL did change their nonprofit status a couple of years ago because they didn't want to be under scrutiny when it came to oversight. 
But, uh, I mean, the, the point of the caller is, is accurate when it comes to trying to curve these types of behaviors. We know that these NFL owners only care about the bottom line and all of the public pressure and the opinions in the court of public opinion haven't done enough to actually sway the owners to make any substantive changes. So I think the NFL, if they're serious about wanting to change in terms of creating a workplace environment that's safe and inclusive, they have to put some type of incentive or some type of punitive measure in 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 in, in position in order to do that. that. And I'm not talking about a $10 million fine like what was levied against Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders in the fallout from that investigation. It has to be something of significance that would affect these owners in a way that would force them to have more accountability throughout their organization. But who's going to do that? Because Cadell can't. His boss are the owners. So you have to have other owners do it for the owners that are already in place. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's such a push and pull there as to how to get things right. And that's what's frustrating to me because clearly that's not working. Like, there, there's clearly a disconnect there between Goodell and the owners and then the owners being buddies with the other owners. And we can't come to an agreement about how to make this kind of stuff stop. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And just to answer Aaron's question, the NFL, in fact, did end their tax-exempt status back in 2015. So that wouldn't be a measure that could be put in place. But I do think it's interesting that the House Oversight Committee, that Congress is interested in the findings of the investigation from the Washington commanders. And I've got to imagine that Congress is going to start barking up that Dallas Cowboys tree Mm -hmm. after hearing about the treatment of the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders and the workplace and propriety from Rich Dalrymple that led to them settling to the tune of $2.4 million. But, Shay, we got to talk about another topic in the NFL that's going to be a huge storyline this offseason. We know the quarterback carousel is going to continue because there are guys that are flirting with the idea of leaving their current situation, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. But a guy that some people may have forgotten about is Deshaun Watson. And according to our very own Jeremy Fowler, Deshaun Watson, even though he hadn't played in over a year while he's facing the 22 civil lawsuits, as well as the criminal investigation uh, into sexual misconduct by the Houston Police Department, has made no bones about wanting to make public where he would like to go. And right now, the top two teams on his destination list are the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Shay, your reaction to Deshaun Watson wanting to suit up for the Vikes or the Bucks in 2022? Did I miss the memo on what is going to happen with Deshaun Watson going forward, be that from the league or from a legal aspect? Did I miss that? (laughs) Because I am not even sure what Deshaun Watson can be for a quarterback for a football team right now. I don't know if Mm. he can play a full season. I don't know if he's going to be suspended. I have no idea even what kind of shape he's in. I know nothing about Deshaun Watson right now. How can these teams be so sure that he's going to fix – whatever they want fixed for their respective teams if you don't even know how much he's going to play. And this is the problem I have with the NFL because I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Like in the last segment, we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys. And now that we're talking about Deshaun Watson, who also has a civil lawsuit that's pending uh, amongst multiple women and what is going on with them. And nothing has been solved in terms of the legal system of this. Now, 
I understand these are two very different situations, but I have yet to hear a word from the league on what the status is of Deshaun Watson. Not a word. Not we're continuing this investigation for now he's been put on the commissioner's exempt list while we figure this out. Not we stand by Deshaun Watson. Not these are serious allegations that we need to continue to be. Like I haven't heard one thing in the last calendar year besides where he might end up in a different uniform. And to me, that's just so irresponsible to continue. This is what I'm talking about. We're continuing down the same path of having no answers and just floating in the in-between but let's figure out where he might play football next year why is that well the nfl doesn't want to acknowledge something as ugly as the facts of the deshaun watson situation because it takes away from the focus that the fan bases should have on the product that's actually on the field you don't want to have deshaun watson looming over the texans franchise or anybody else's franchise when you're trying to sell your entertainment product. And based on what we're seeing, the NFL has never been more popular in terms of the sports landscape and the entertainment landscape in this country. So I understand why owners don't want to push Deshaun Watson to the forefront, but there's also the reluctance to actually address the issue and the gravity of the situation that's facing Deshaun Watson because, again, we're talking about sexual misconduct and an employee of an NFL club. So, Shay, I'm with you. There could have been some measure where you decide to put him on the commissioner's exempt list until the situation settles itself, whether that's Deshaun Watson settling, whether that's the civil lawsuits going away, whether that's the criminal criminal investigation going away, whatever happens, at least make a definitive statement about what we're doing with Deshaun Watson – and, and if that's waiting until the legal process runs, in court, runs its course, then so be it. But the player has to accept the fact that they're going to be on the sidelines until that happens. So I'm with you a thousand percent. But a part of Sports Talk Radio, Shay, is that we always want to speculate. So assuming that Deshaun Watson is available and knowing that he has a full no trade clause, where do you think the best landing spot for him would be between those two teams? I mean, the Bucks is the, the obvious answer here. Um, because they have a more plug-and-play system. Uh, Their entire coaching staff is returning. If you can figure out what you're doing with the likes of Leonard Fournette and Chris Godwin, I think Indominus Sue is another free agent. You're not probably going to get Gronkowski back because you don't have Tom Brady there. So if you can figure out some of your free agent signings and what you can do with your cap, it sounds like Bruce Arians is coming back. Uh, that would be a likely fit, I think, for Deshaun Watson. But again, like this is hard for me to talk about without having any idea if he could even play a full season because I have yet to hear from the NFL or their owners of how they stand on this. Yeah, I'm with you a thousand percent. But if I had to choose between these two teams as the options as the front runners for Deshaun Watson I would say it's the Tampa Bay Bucks too but I would take it a step further Shay and say if Deshaun Watson ends up with the Tampa Bay Bucks and he can play a full season I would think that they should be considered the favorites in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl Super Bowl 57 so we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson but I would pick the Bucks over the Rams over the Dallas Cowboys which are the top two teams in terms of the odds makers for Super Bowl 57 But coming up next, which team has a better chance of reaching the NBA Finals, Brooklyn or Philly? We'll have the answer for you. But first, a word from eBay. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows. Maybe it's a drop ball. Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When this happens, the only solution is to replace that part with something better. It's the same with your car. But unlike in sports, a new batch of car parts can't be drafted every year. That's why there's eBay Motors They have all the right parts at all the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. That's a lot of parts. That way you can get the parts you need to make your car a winner. 
Visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Shea Cornette, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio, back in a few. ESPN Radio. Shea Cornette and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Did you know that you can listen to ESPN Radio commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN Radio shows, including this one, and much more without ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. And Shay, we heard from Commissioner Adam Silver today on the NBA on a myriad of different issues from the Harden-Simmons trade to a midseason tournament that's being proposed and then also the New York City vaccine mandates and how they'll impact the rest of the season. To break it all down for us, we're going to bring on ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler. And Tim, Adam Silver didn't seem to like the idea of how the Ben Simmons-James Harden trade played out so publicly, but I got to ask you, from an impact standpoint, how will Harden impact the Philadelphia 76ers in their chances of competing for an NBA title? Well, I think you have to take a look at them uh, as currently constructed prior to the trade and, and just be honest, that's not a championship-caliber team. And I, honestly, I don't think they were a championship-caliber team with Ben Simmons playing all year as your point guard. Um, I just think they, they lacked that explosive, dynamic, perimeter, playmaking slash scorer that can control a game, take over a game, dominate a game. The teams that win championships have a guy like that on their roster. Sixers did not. And, and no matter how well Joel Embiid is playing, it is difficult to run your offense consistently in, in big moments through a big man regardless of how versatile he is, because you can figure out ways to get the ball out of people's hands when you're talking about a center. You can run double teams at him pretty much anywhere on the floor. So you needed to have a guy that can can basically beat any defense in front of him as a guard, and that's what James Harden brings. So they're just, they've elevated their talent level. They've put themselves into a legitimate debate as a championship contender. And James Harden's going to make the game easier for Joel Embiid. They're going to have to work out some things. I mean, you got two alphas, you got two guys that you know are used to the offense being run through them. There's an ebb and flow there to that that they've got to sort through. But the fact that one guy you know dominates you from a from a four or five position and one guy does it from a guard position, I think that lends itself to them being compatible and being able to play together. But James Harden just you know he gives them that dynamic scoring perimeter presence and playmaking presence uh, with a live dribble that they desperately needed. Because Ben Simmons, for all the things he does to help you win, he's got a glaring hole in his game. So they needed to upgrade that spot, and they obviously did it. And they need him to suit up sooner rather than later, considering they lost by 48 last night to the Celtics. Let's go to the other side of this trade now, Tim, and talk about the Ben Simmons and how he might impact Brooklyn. Let's, uh, I mean, we're going to assume at this point, hopefully he does suit up sometime after the All-Star break. And when he does, how quickly can he make an impact? Yeah, look, he's a guy that immediately brings some things to their team that they really needed as well. So you're, they're talking about, first and foremost, the pace of the game. And that's one thing that Brooklyn – was not very good at when James Harden was playing. He's not in a hurry to get up the floor. I mean, James Harden, you know, teams he's on, you don't do anything till James feels like getting up the court with the ball. It's that simple. And he's not going to run ahead of the ball. So it's going to be, if he's on the court, it's his show, it's his ball. He's playing at the pace he wants to play at. Well, Ben Simmons is a guy that now can take it off the glass and go. He's got elite level speed. He's 
great open floor playmaker. He encourages guys to run with him because they will get rewarded. So they're going to get more easy shots early up the floor. And I think even if that's not KD and Kyrie, although they will also benefit because they're both catch-and-shoot players as well as you know dominant isolation players. So they will walk into some wide-open shots because of Ben Simmons' pressure up the court. But I think more it's the role players, the rest of those guys that need the game facilitated a little bit for them. Ben Simmons is definitely going to do that. There's no question. And he can also guard anybody on the floor. So he's going to take pressure off KD and Kyrie on that end because he can basically switch on to, in any given moment, whoever's got the hot hand. Uh, one through five. If Ben Simmons can guard all of them. So if you want to use him to protect KD and Kyrie, keep him out of foul trouble, let him get a blow by putting him on you know, a weaker scorer at a certain position, Ben Simmons gives them that luxury. So he does have value. If you have guys in place that can score, that can take the pressure, shots that can handle the ball, create the offense initially, Ben Simmons is great. They didn't have that in Philly, and that's why he got exposed because he was trying to play point guard as a guy that's a non-threat outside six feet and loses confidence in big moments from the foul line. He's not aggressive when he needs to be because he doesn't want to get fouled. And so now you take that off his plate. KD and Kyrie got that. So now you've got to figure out a way to protect him in the last five minutes of the game so he's not exposed. But for the most part, his, his attributes are exactly what Brooklyn needs. So this is one of those rare situations actually where both teams could end up being better or a more viable championship contender with this trade. Talking with ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler on ESPN Radio. And Tim, lost in the shuffle of all of the different goings-on with the Eastern Conference and the huge blockbuster trade last week is the Milwaukee Bucks, who continue to just roll along right there, flying under the radar as the reigning defending champs. And then Giannis, last night on the second night of a back-to-back, drops a 50-piece nugget against the Indiana Pacers (laughs) en route to them winning that game. But the thing that impressed me the most it was 50 points on 21 shots. I want to say it's the fourth fewest shots for a 50-point performance in the NBA's history. So, Tim, what are the biggest areas of growth when it comes to Giannis's individual game? Well, there's so many, honestly. I think, first of all, and it really started in the postseason last year. He had a couple years in a row where the postseason did not go uh, very well for him. They were the number one seed in the league two years in a row. They got bounced by Toronto, then by Miami. He was exposed a little bit because, again, you know, late game stuff, getting fouled, not being a, con- a confident or consistent foul shooter. He wasn't at the level that he had a mid-range game that he could go to, to to basically shoot the ball, you know, before the contact at the rim where they, teams would put him on the line. He didn't really have that. It was occasional you'd see it, but he didn't really lack – he didn't really have the confidence in taking that shot in big moments. That's changed now. And I think you look at the performance he had in the biggest game of his career to close out game in the finals, his best game of his career. He has 50, 50 piece in that game as well. And more importantly, goes to the line and just knocks down free throw after free throw. And it was a breakthrough mentally for him. I think it was a breakthrough mentally for their team that now they knew they had a star that can be unstoppable if he's going to also add finesse to his game by making free throws, mix in a three here and there, make a couple of mid-range shots. He's added that. He's got a great lethal turnaround jumper in the post now that he's been working on for the last several years. It's finally at the point. It's almost an unstoppable shot because of his length and size. And he can go to that also, again, to spin out away from a double team that's coming at him on the block. So he's just added another weapon to his game to go to 
as great players do, they'd have to make any shot that is required in the moment based on the defense. Giannis Antetokounmpo now is, is kind of approaching that level. Uh, and then the physical dominance that he has in the open floor is he's an unstoppable force if you don't have five guys committed to the paint. So he just he's such an impressive athlete because he continues to add, he continues to be hungry. He doesn't just want to be an NBA champion, which he's already accomplished. He wants to be one of the greatest to ever do it. And, that's, and, and that that drives the whole team. When they see a guy work that hard that's already accomplished this much, um, that fuels who they are. So, yeah, there's always sexier stories. Uh, certainly the Nets, the Sixers, the Miami Heat, they, they had a personnel turnover in the offseason. Chicago has been a great story. Cleveland's been a great story this year in the East. There's Boston's red hot right now. We like talking about them. Milwaukee, you know what they're saying? Perfectly fine with us. Sleep on us all you want to. And at the end of the day, I will not be shocked if Milwaukee is back in the finals despite these teams making these trades involving these star players. Yeah, Tim, I wouldn't be shocked either because Milwaukee, in my opinion, has the best player in the entire NBA. That's how far I think Giannis has come. Tim, we appreciate a few moments. Thanks for your time, and we look forward to catching up with you on the other side of the All-Star break. Enjoy it. Oh, my pleasure. Look forward to coming back. Thank you. That is ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler joining us on the hotline. And, Shay, I don't disagree with anything that he said about Milwaukee because this team feels like they're perfectly content flying under the radar until we get to the postseason. That's who their identity is. They don't want to be in the limelight. They don't want the drama. That's who they are. They're like Mary J. No more drama. I love it. There it is. There it is. Coming up next, Adam Silver likes the possibility of an in-season tournament. We'll give you our thoughts on that. Shay Cornette, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. Kenny and Cornette on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the Twitter at ChrisCanny9 and at Shea Pepler. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easier and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Shay, we heard earlier from Commissioner Adam Silver, who was on Get Up with Mike Greenberg earlier today. And amongst other things, he mentioned the idea of the NBA going into a midseason tournament. Let's listen to what the commission had to say about the potential on starting a midseason tournament next year. In terms of the midseason tournament, I think since we last talked, I've, I've morphed to calling it an in-season tournament as opposed to midseason, only because as we're looking at different models, it may not fall right smack center at, at the middle of the season. But the notion is, you know, I've said this before, to trying to steal a page, particularly from European soccer, where they have other trophies that they play for. And the, the ideal, ideal would be to take nothing whatsoever away from the Larry O'Brien trophy, our championship trophy, but in what is increasingly a long regular season, particularly as you look at how people's habits change over time, um, getting people to sit down for two and a half hours to watch a game isn't necessarily consistent with the way people watch sports or any events these days. That's so weird to me that he says that, Canty, because I feel like of all sporting events, basketball is the easiest for an attention span, considering what everyone, everything that's going on in the arena, how short the games are and compared to like the NFL or Major League Baseball, even hockey, like basketball is much more condensed. So it's it's weird to me that he said the way that we're consuming sports nowadays, if anything, I would think the NBA is doing it right. 
No question about it. I mean, you're talking about the games being two, two and a half hours long and there being constant action because the players on the court are responsible for play offense and defense, and you can't make that claim when it comes to baseball or when it comes to the NFL, at least not at the same time. So that's the thing that is interesting in terms of the entertainment value that the basketball, that NBA is trotting out there. I think they have a solid product, and they've done a great job of marketing the stars I'm not sure that they're going to be able to get the star players on board when it comes to a midseason tournament without any kind of significant incentive. If it's not improved playoff position, if it's not a monetary incentive, then why as a player would I look at a midseason tournament any different than I would a regular season game? I just I don't know that in this era with player empowerment and guys load managing that we're going to see a situation where because Adam Silver creates another trophy in an in-season tournament, that it's going to lead to guys deciding to opt in and to make sure that they're a part of it. And then you're seeing that increased effort level um, like we see once we jump to postseason basketball. I just don't see it. I can understand the motivation behind it because it's all about money when it comes to Adam Silver and the NBA working with their television partners to create another, another entity, another product that you can sell. But ultimately, you got to get the players on board, and I'm not so sure that the players would just jump on board because you create another trophy. So uh, Adam Silver's just getting greedy now. Like the play-in tournament <laughs> worked so well, and we're all praising him, and we're so excited for it this season. And it was a home run, and now he's getting greedy. He's like, "Okay, that worked out in my favor. Now I'm going to throw one in the middle of the season that has no impact whatsoever on what the postseason is going to look like. It's just going to be another highly televised, some sort of side trophy that you could get. That yeah, you think LeBron and AD and KD are going to be like, please throw another tournament at me so that I can." figure out how I'm going to navigate through those waters. There's no way this is going to work. And he's like, I changed it from mid-season to in-season because mid-season we have the All-Star game. And as it is, the All-Star game is kind of watered down anyways. If it wasn't for the dunk contest and the skills shooting um, or the skills uh, That's the best contest, part. That's, that's the, the best, best part. part. That's the, the best part. The rest of the game is, is nothing. No, the best part about it is the skills composition, skills the dunk composition. contest, the three, the three-point shootout, and then the intro to the All-Star game. Yeah. What I think will be special this time around in Cleveland though they're going to introduce the top 75 players of all time so being there to see that would also be great because there is that celebration throughout the course of the entire season but Shay I'm a thousand percent with you I just don't understand where the value in it lies where the incentive is in it for the players or the teams the one thing I will say that could potentially make it interesting is similar to what we've seen with the in-season uh, with the uh, in-season tournament before the playoffs if there would be an automatic bid attached to the winner of the midseason tournament or the in-season tournament, then potentially I could see teams getting on board because you're talking about everybody having a shot to automatically qualify for the playoffs, and that would be a huge incentive for all involved to participate. So just putting that out there, maybe that's an idea for Adam Silver. If he's a friend of the show, he can jump mm-hmm. on board. But coming up next, Sarah Spain joins us to dissect the Dallas Cowboys situation. 